really good. But again, the simple gospel, simple gospel. And, and Paul really dives into this. And he starts out, and I'm skipping a few verses today for time's sake. But he starts out addressing the church in Corinth in chapter 11. And, and really talking about this false gospel that started to creep up in the church in Corinth. Um, really start addressing um, how foolish they are. And, and really what was going on to kind of set up the context is Paul had been to Corinthians. He sowed his time into Corinthians. He poured into Corinthians. He did a lot of stuff in the Corinthian church. And then there was these hotshot preachers that called themselves super apostles that came in and they started having dynamic services and they've got elaborate talk. And uh, the next thing you know, everyone starts listening to these super apostles. The, and, and again, we'll address what he's talking about there in just a moment, so just bear with me. He starts addressing that and he gets frustrated. Paul's getting frustrated because the super apostles are starting to teach a gospel that is different from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're starting to teach a gospel that's, that's complicated and it's got strings attached. They're starting to teach a gospel um, that is uh, deceiving them from the truth of the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus. And, and so this is what it is that, that he starts to address in, in this chapter. Um, and again, he, I want to kind of give you a warning because his tone is very aggressive, all right? Um, and I would just imagine that he was very aggressive. He may have not been aggressive. But I want to start in, in verse 4. He says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am in the least inferior of these super apostles. Even if I am un unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. And, and, and so, so again, he just to kind of rehash, he's like, these guys have come up on the scene and, and they're, they've got very elaborate speech. They're, they're very persuasive. They're very charismatic in the way that they deliver the message, but they're not teaching you the truth. They're teaching you something that's starting to deceive you and, and to complicate things with the simplicity of the gospel. And this is something that we've said before, especially whenever we were walking through Colossians. But Jesus plus anything equals nothing. You catch that? Jesus in its simplistic form, and you add anything to Jesus, and it, it equals nothing. The grace of God is just voided out. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so what he's doing is he is addressing this right here. And he's saying, hey, um, you're adding to the gospel. And because you're adding to the gospel, you are ultimately deceiving yourselves, you foolish people. And he's actually about to call them a fool in just a minute. But he says, if anyone's preaching another Jesus than the, outside of the Jesus than here, it's wrong. If anyone is coming in a different spirit that doesn't align with this right here, it's wrong. If anyone is preaching another gospel outside of this right here, it's wrong. And so church, I want to say this because especially in the American culture, and if you're watching online, you guys, uh, you know, there's multiple churches that are streaming right now, and I see it all the time. It is so easy to get caught up in persuasive words and to miss the simplicity of the gospel and to deceive yourself. And so we got to be careful with that. We, we've got to, we've got to like, 
actually read the Bible for ourselves. And like, and here's what I would challenge you. As I'm preaching, take notes, go home and fact check me. If I'm wrong, come and rebuke me. Like my authority is the scripture. And, and so I don't want to be offline with that. But, but then he, again, in verse 5, 6, he starts talking about these super apostles. And, and just to kind of re- rehash, indeed, I consider that I am in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Essentially what's happening is Paul has built up relational equity with the church in Corinth. He's built up relational equity, and then you've got these hot shot guys that end up coming in And that entire relational equity that's been there has just been broken. You you tracking with me? Let me me, me put it in this this term, okay? You've got a good friend. Maybe it's a best friend, right? And y'all do life together. Y'all hang out together. Y'all go get coffee. Or if you're uh, in England, you go get tea. I don't know why I said that in England. Everyone was super excited on the flight home because they had afternoon tea. And it was just like, I was like, all right, that's cool. We had... Afternoon coffee on my flight. Um, but, but we, you know, you do life together, right? You're walking side by side. And then someone who's a little bit more insta-famous than you pops up. Or someone who's got a little bit more clout than you ends up coming onto the scene. Or someone who's a better mother in the world's perception ends up showing up. Or, or someone who's got something just a tad bit better ends up showing up. And you start to notice that the friendship that you had, well, that that friendship starts to, I'm going to go hang out with this person a little bit more. And I'm going to go, you know, what what was that show that we watched? Uh, Christy's about to say you cannot talk about shows at church. It was the one about the woman that impersonated this other woman. And she, what? Inventing Anna. Inventing Anna, which is a true story. All right, true story. Go, go Google it. Inventing Anna. She literally pretended to be someone that she wasn't, and everyone was glued and attached to her, and it was complete deception. She then went to jail, and she served two years in jail, and then got deported wherever it was that she came. Oh, I totally. <laughs> it was so good, too. It was so good. <laughs> last, time, last time I was preaching, and I recommended a show, um, someone went and watched the show with their kids and then they met me for coffee and they were like, Pastor Mike, we can't watch that show in front of our kids. And I'm like, why'd you watch it in front of your kids? You know, like, um, so I'm just, there is grace. I am covered by the blood of Jesus. We're just going to leave it at that. But like, like pretending to, don't put that on Instagram either. I'm being serious. <laughs> but like we're pre- pretending, pretending to be someone, right? And they got a little bit more money, a little bit more uh, clout. And the next thing you know is the relationship that you once thought that you had with someone ends up getting broken and they're off and they're following somebody else. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe you've done that to somebody else. And that's what's going on here with Paul. Paul's like, I've built this relational equity with you guys. 
I've invested my time. I've written to you. I have discipled you. I've poured into you. And because this hot shot from Philippi ends up showing up over here or from Jerusalem over here who can preach a better sermon, you're going to start to listen to this false gospel that he's preaching and ignore the relational equity that I've developed and built with you? Or ignore the gospel equity that I've built with you? I want you to remember this. Who is it that's in your circle? Who is it that you do life with? Who is it that you can confide in? Who is it that you can trust with? Who is it that's going to hold you accountable? Remember that because we're going to come back to that at the very end. But then he continues on in verse 7 through 11. He says, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed, catch this, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrain, and I will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in all the regions of whatever that word is. Which, side note, on the trip, it's totally like came out that anytime I skip over a word and y'all are following along, it's because I can't say it. So um, I'm not a theologian. Verse 11, and why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And, and so he's sitting here and he's, he's talking about like, hey, I came to you church in Corinth and, and I came and I didn't ask for money from you guys. I, I didn't come here and I didn't beg you to, to give me anything for me to preach to you and for me to have dinner with you guys and for me to disciple and for me to pour into you. I, I didn't do that so that I could get money. Better yet, I didn't even ask you for money. Somebody else over there paid for me to come here. And, and so I just want to say this as a church, right? Where we are going as a church in the building that we've been renovating and investing into and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on that one day will get completed before Jesus Christ comes back. Can I get an amen? Amen. (sighs) Y'all need to pray for me about that building and pray for Andrea as well. And so um, we're getting there. We are getting there. Anyways, but like all of that, the people that then come in six months from now are not going to know the equity, the sweat, the prayers, the tears, and the sacrifice that was put into it for them to come into a church, a thriving church, a church with new equipment, a church with a, a, a ball in, you know, kids ministry a, um, or fire, whatever it is that you kids use these days, right, Noah? Like, um, which, by the way, welcome back. We salute you, you know. Um, but, like, they're, they're not going to know. They're not going to know. And, and, and that's essentially what Paul's saying. He's like, I came here, I invested my time, I invested my energy, and I haven't asked you for a dime. And I did it because I love Jesus and because I love you guys. I love you guys. I love you guys so much that it hurts me. So that's, that's what Paul's saying. How many of you guys have you grew up, you, have you ever heard of these revival preachers that come into town? Anyone? Revival preachers, I'll I'll tell you, you want to know the inside workings of revival preachers? I'll tell you how it works. This is how you know God's moving, all right? Kid you not, God's honest truth. God brought me to this city, and I got a word for this city, 
And the first night was powerful, and God moved in a great way. And then I got that offering check. And that offering check was $15,000 for one night. Hallelujah. I just feel the anointing of God is calling me to stay at this church and to continue to preach. The next day, oh, we got a $12,000 offering check today. Oh, I just feel the anointing of Jesus Christ in this place. You know, we're going to extend the meetings another week because God's told us to, right? And, and then they keep going. And, they, and you know what they do? Every night they keep asking for money. But about the fourth or fifth week, the money starts to dry up and the anointing of God somehow just ends up leaving that revival preacher. And they're like, well, I, I just feel like God's done here. And so it's time to move on to my next church for me to do the exact same thing at my next church and to take advantage of them. You, you think I'm joking. I know preachers that will not preach at certain places unless they've got three or four zeros attached to the paycheck that they're going to be receiving. Like, it, it disgusts me. It disgusts me. Now, should a preacher that's coming in, should they get paid? Absolutely, they should. We should honor, honors due uh, to the man or the woman of God that, that is, ends up serving them. But, but, like, that's what's happening here. Like, Paul's like, I didn't ask you for money, but you've got these super apostles that have come in, and they're starting to bleed you guys for money. They're, they're starting to pull this from you. And then he continues on in, in verse, verse 12. And, and let me just say this, all right? This is, you guys know that we do Revo Conference. We're not doing it this year. We're doing it next year. What I love about Revo Conference, even though we take up an offering and even though we do have a fee to it, it's budgeted in our budget every year to where if no one gave a dime, the entire thing would be paid for. And, and that's why, because there is not that pressure of being like, I've got to pull money from the church. I've got to manipulate people to give. Anyways, a little side rant right, right there. Verse, verse 12 through 15. And then, then Paul's going to go off, and I'm going to get really excited. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are, here we go, come on, come on, you and your bad self, Paul. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Verse, verse 14, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Like, those are some harsh words, Paul. You, you, really, you really, this is really how you feel? Like, they're, they're really that far off base with what it is that they're preaching, what it is that they're teaching? You're going to call them essentially agents of Satan? He's like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what they are. And so let me give you a few modern day examples, all right? Prosperity gospel. You guys know about that? Here's, here's the prosperity gospel. You name it, you claim it, and if God doesn't give it to you, it's because you have a lack of faith. Now, I'm all about faith, and I'm all about asking God for things. I have got ridiculous things that I'm asking God for in my life. Like, I want to be 100% debt-free, including our mortgage. I want to. I, I, I like, can I get an Amen. amen. You know, I, 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 and so like I'm believing for it in Jesus' name. Like, but if God decides not to give that to me in his sovereignty, my worship and my faith should not be predicated upon that right there. 
But what the prosperity gospel says is if you don't receive this, then you've got something wrong with you. If you don't receive this, then you don't have enough faith. If you don't receive this, then X, Y, and Z, whatever it may be, is going to um, keep you from getting that. And, And so what's happened is you've got these incredible communicators that have tied the things that you receive monetarily to your faith. Now, is there an aspect of that? Yes. But again, in God's sovereignty, our worship is not predicated upon what we get because we get Jesus. So the prosperity gospel, it's big, it's false. And this is how you know if there's a prosperity preacher in front of you. They get up there and they put their Bible down. I'm calling some people out. I'm so sorry, guys. Um, I'm calling circles out right now, different encampments in the church. And they get up there and they tell you all about everything that they did. And then they get to the offering at the end of their message. And then they do the altar call and all the untie my bow ties. I should have bought a Honda ends up taking place and people pass out everywhere and they're all freaking out. And meanwhile, his Bible's been shut the entire time. That's called the prosperity gospel. That's a false gospel. Now on the flip side, let me, let me go to the counter side of that. And this is something that kind of really enlightened me. And Kat said something on the trip that I'm totally going to use. And she's like, what I say? Uh, <laughs> um, and I hope I get it right. Because I was like, man, that was perfect. You also got the poverty gospel. See, this is something we don't talk about a lot in church. We got the poverty gospel of like, you know, John the Baptist, he was eating locusts in a field. We, we need to, you know, just eat the worms out of the ground and be homeless, and give everything away, everything. Well, I just got this new shirt. Give it away. Go buy a shirt and cut holes in it, and then give that away too, right? Or, or this, if you're not suffering, then you're not serving God. There's that aspect too. There, there's this mindset that's crept up in some Christian circles that if you're not being constantly depleted and constantly beat down, then ultimately, well, you're not serving God. See, that's the poverty gospel. So you got the prosperity gospel over here, which is you need to all be driving Bentleys. And then you got the poverty gospel over here, which is you all need to be homeless. And and this is something that blew my mind. We were in Magdala, and, and Magdala is where Mary Magdalene came from. And if you don't know anything about Mary Magdalene, well, she had a history of sleeping around and getting around people. And so we're sitting there, and um, you know what I'm about to say? So we're sitting there, and they're like, hey, Magdala, the town where Mary Magdalene is from, is a wealthy town. And this is where Jesus preached, and they're like, this is the mikvah, which is where you get cleaned and stuff. And they're like, we know that it was a wealthy town because of the fishing industry. It had a little seaport over there. And then on top of that, the mikvahs, which for poorer people was more like a communal baptismal, right? Um, but, But religious and wealthy people had their own, and they had multiple private mikvahs there. And and so we're walking out, and Kat goes, that makes sense. I guess Mary Magdalene was like an escort for the wealthy people. You know, they make good money. And and I'm just like, like, I was like, holy cow. That completely contradicts the poverty gospel because it was Mary Magdalene's money that she earned from sinning that once she got saved. Am I butchering this? I feel like I'm butchering this. It's all Sean shaking his head. I'm butchering this. He'll correct me later. Anyways, long story short. It was the women of Jesus' ministry that were then funding Jesus' ministry. Did I get that right? 
He's going to correct me later. This is why you should read your Bible, because I'm going to get rebuked later. So you've got the prosperity gospel, and then you've got the poverty gospel. And this is what I want to go back to, the simple gospel. The simple gospel. The gospel that doesn't have a materialistic thing attached to it. The gospel that doesn't have a monetary thing attached to it. The gospel that's simply about Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And out of that comes transformation. He continues on, verses 16 through 18. And this is, this is where I love it. He says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will too. Have you ever heard that saying, if you can't beat them, join them? It's like, oh, and then your parents would be like, well, if everyone was jumping off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too? And was that just me, my dad? Like, he said that to me all the time. Jerry, Jerry, you have so many things that my father used to say. It was like I was walking in Jerusalem with my dad this past week. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> and and so, so that's what Paul's saying. He's like, all right. They're all boasting about everything that they did. I I can't beat them, so let me just join them. All right, let me join them and let let me boast a little bit out of my flesh. And I love that because that's where we see Paul in his uh, fleshly manner, so to speak, start to speak up. And and he says, he says this, or this is kind of what I want to set it up for. I want to make sure I get my notes. The false apostles are going to talk about, look at what I've done. The false apostles are going to talk about, look at the crowds that I attract. The false apostles are going to say, look at all the education that I have. And so Paul steps up on the scene. He's like, all right, let me, let me just tell you what I've done since we're talking about what we've done in our flesh. Let me, let me just tell you about that. And then he starts to dive into this in verse 19. He says, for you gladly bear with fools being wise yourself. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on air, or strikes you in the face, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. And so essentially he's saying, he's like, hey, you guys have been captivated and deceived to the point that now you look like a bunch of fools. You guys have been captivated and deceited, it's deceitful to the point that you are now enslaved to a false doctrine that is there. And, and then he says this, and this is what I love. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Verse 22. You ready? Are they Hebrews? So am I. Like you want to compare apples to apples? They're Hebrews? All right, I'm a Hebrew too. Are they Israelites? Yeah, yeah, they're Israelites, Paul. Okay, good. So am I. I'm also an Israelite. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And this is where he goes, right for the jugular. I am a better one. Now, I, I don't know about you, 
But you sit down with people and you would say, that's a little prideful, that's a little boastful, right? You're sitting there and you're having a conversation with someone and, and, and it's like, you know, I, I caught this fish one time. Well, man, I, I caught a bigger fish. And well, no, I caught this really, really big fish over here. Next thing you know, they caught like a, a, a well or whatever. And, and it's just this completely fabricated story that's end up making up. It's the comparison thing. And so Paul's like, you want to start comparing things? Great. You're a Hebrew, so am I. You're an Israelite, so am I. You're uh, the son of Abraham, so am I. Oh, you're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm a better one. I'm a better one. And not only that, I'm about to prove to you why it is that I am a better one. Verse 24. Five times, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. 39 lashes. The Jews were not allowed to beat people to the point of 40. Five times I received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. You hear what he's doing? He's sitting there and saying, oh, you got persuasive talk and you're a Hebrew, great, all this other stuff. Let me prove to you that I'm a better Christian. Let me prove to you a better Christian because I didn't come here to sit here and to speak to a bunch of people to where they would follow me. I was beaten almost to the point of death. I was shipwrecked three times. I was stoned. I was literally lost at sea for the sake of the gospel. This is where that relational equity ends up coming back into play with all of our lives. That relational equity, because I'm sitting here and I'm like, who would you want in your life? He doesn't stop there though. He, he continues on. He says, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger of rivers, dangers of robbers, danger of my own people, dangers of Gentile, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there was the daily pressure on me of my anxiety of all the churches. So you got these super apostles. God's moving. God's going to do great things. Let's give a bunch of money. Let's make them rich. And then they're going to move on. And they're going to keep doing whatever it is. And then you got Paul. Who was beaten for the church. Then you got Paul who was shipwrecked for the church. You got Paul who was stoned by the Jews for the church. You got Paul who experienced hardship and sleepless nights. You got Paul who experienced hunger and thirst for the church. Going back to that relational equity, who's in your circle? I want to challenge all of us to think about this. Who is in our circle? Because it's, it's the people that are there whenever you're at the bottom who are sitting there walking you, whenever you're literally experiencing all hell. Those are the people that you want by your side. Because Instagram's going to come, and if you haven't noticed it, it's starting to fade away. Thank you, Jesus. TikTok is big right now. It's going to come, and it's going to be gone in five or seven or ten years. 
whatever the next big social media meta VR thing is going to come and it's going to end up fading away. At some point, who's by your side? Who's by your side? Who's walking you through the relational equity of the men and the women of God that are in our life who are going to literally walk through hell and walk through fire with us? Now, maybe some of you, you have abandoned relationships that you need to go back to and restore. Maybe some of you, you have gotten caught up in the new wave or the new thing that's popular for the next three months. And you need to return to the simple gospel. Like if I had to put my money on the super apostles or on Paul, I'm putting it all on Paul. I'm putting it all on Paul because he had the character and he had the lifestyle and he had the willingness and he had the relational equity with the church in Corinth, with the church in Colossae, with the church in Philippi, with the church in Thessalonica, with the church in wherever else it was that he ended up planting and starting. He had that relational equity and that love for them and that passion for them, that love and that passion that led him to being beat for the gospel that led him to being, him being stoned for the gospel and shipwrecked, lost at sea, hunger and thirst for the sake of the gospel and his love for the church. His love for the church. Do we have that love? Do we have that love for Jesus that then manifests itself towards our love for each other? Do we genuinely have that love for one another. The simple gospel, right? Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Simple gospel. It's the simple gospel that drove Paul. Now, sum all this up. Let me read this last two verses. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indigenous. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. So, we, um, first day, second day of our trip, and I think this is for me, just being in Corinthians, this was such a sobering moment. We're, we're in Caesarea, Philip, Phil, it's not Caesarea, Caesarea Maritime, not Philippi, Caesarea Maritime. We're going, there's this Roman theater, and it's really beautiful, and, uh, it was built by Herod the Great, um, in honor of Caesar, and then the, the Romans continued to build on it, and the Byzantines, Byzantines came in, and they built more. Long story short, here's what I'm getting to. We are able to walk in the same place, the same ruins where Paul preached to King Agrippa and preached to the other Roman officials there. And we were standing right above the dungeon where he was spending nights there for a long time. We walked through the ruined city where he was under house arrest. 
And we saw this massive field where the gladiators would go out and they would fight. And you know what the gladiators were? Slaves. Jewish people and Christian people who would not submit to Rome. And so our guide, Amer, said this. He said, we are literally walking on the sands with the first martyrs of the Christian faith. And why did Paul do this? Because of his love for God and his love for the church. And it just blew my mind that we're literally walking through this ruined city and it's absolutely gorgeous. And in this very place, two-thirds of the New Testament was written. And if you don't know how the story of Paul goes, he spent about two years in Caesarea of uh, Maritime, and then after that, they shipped him off to Rome. And whenever he arrived in Rome, he was under house arrest, supposed to be tried as a Roman citizen. And then some guards ended up showing to his house one night. They brought him outside of the city gates, and they cut off his head. And that was the end of the Apostle Paul. And he did all of this for the glory of God. Relational equity. Gospel equity. That's what I want to be a part of. I'm not saying I want to be beheaded, but if it comes down to that, for the sake of the church, praise be to God. Who's in your circle? Who's in your corner this morning? The other thing that just blows my mind is the fact that Jesus would allow this to happen so that we would be sitting here 2,000 years later retelling a story of one of the greatest men that ever walked this earth who served his life for the greatest man who walked this earth, that being Jesus. And the ridiculous, scandalous love that God had for you and for I, for him to be allowed to walk through that so that we could worship here in Albany, New York, or Latham, New York, wherever we are, freely and gracefully. Will you stand to your feet with me? I didn't cry today. A little bit teary. God, what a good God you are. What a holy God you are. Father, I, God, I just ask that wherever people may be right now, that you would just speak to us. God, that we would be reminded of Christian relational equity and the importance of it, that we would be reminded of the gospel, the simple gospel, that we would not overcomplicate the purity of your scripture, the purity of your word, Father, and the simplest of all commands, God be a church that embraces the purity of the simple gospel. We would walk this out. Father, it's in your name we pray.